A reading from the Gospel according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Resurrected Christ, you are the living word. May these sacred stories and our reflections on them reveal your word for us today. And may we experience a new life of peace from you. Amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen As Ray told us, it is still Easter, and that is the beat of our hearts. And even though it's not written in the worship folder, it is a greeting and a blessing to us all this day. In the early church, many people were baptized during the Easter vigil or on Easter morning. And this season of Eastertide was the time when they talked about um, the main tenets of the faith. How do we act and believe and follow this Christ? The stories of the resurrection accounts give us an insight into what these earliest communities believed. And today, our gospel passage brings us two of these resurrection accounts. And it continues directly after the story we heard last week, ending with Mary going to the disciples and saying, I have seen the Lord. Our passage picks up that very evening, the disciples meeting together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. I'm going to pause right there 
and briefly address this troubling statement. In light of the hatred and judging of our Jewish neighbors that has come from reading the Gospel of John or other passages in our scripture, even the crucifixion account that we heard last week as part of our holy services has been used to justify violence against Jews. Most markedly in the Middle Ages, in the First Crusades, or even with the Holocaust. So how do we reconcile the good news that is supposed to be one of love shown through God's self-giving and God's vulnerability with these passages that blatantly speak as the Jews as over and against. Some historical contexts of early Christian and Jewish relationships suggest that these Christian Jewish converts were being expelled from the synagogue, but that doesn't completely encase the development of rabbinic Judaism and Christianity during the first century. And we can't quite just point to that. So we have the challenge, like we do with all of our sacred stories, to have an expansive reading of this gospel, to recognize that this is a book where a community of believers is wrestling with their theological ideas, trying to make sense of their experiences, and not always living out the gospel message that they are trying to preach. So let us look wider and consider that within the same gospel, there's an overwhelming message of God coming and offering grace to all, and even accounts of the Jewish community supporting the disciples, such as a few weeks ago when we talked about the Jews coming to console Mary and Martha on the death of their brother Lazarus. So instead of either rushing over these difficult passages or wishing that they weren't included in our text, let us seek to see beyond the quick sentence that has stirred hatred. The disciples meeting in fear behind locked doors and the risen Christ appears among them. Their fear, the locked doors, locked against the inclusive nature of Christ but it doesn't hinder Christ from coming amongst them to offer peace. He does not address the fear of the Jews directly in dialogue, but instead offers them a new way, redirecting from fear to peace. Might this offer us a way to read the loving message of Christ into this passage? Jesus inviting us away from the fear of the other into a life of peace and fellowship. This brief pause doesn't answer all the questions or quell my uneasiness or maybe even yours, but as people seeking to be a loving and inclusive community, we cannot ignore the presence of language like this in our text. And I encourage you to practice an expansive reading acknowledging that hurt can come from not taking the Bible seriously enough, enough to discern the message of life and love that we believe is present in this text. And may we keep this in mind as we explore this text in more detail today. So the first resurrection appearance in this passage from John continues. Christ proclaims, peace be with you. 
And after he shows them his hands and his side, his scars, then the disciples rejoice that they have seen the Lord. In the book of John, in the original Greek, just as we think of the word see in English, has a dual meaning. I see with my eyes, but I see, I understand, I believe. Oh, I see. The disciples do not believe or understand until Jesus shows them these marks, these scars. So we're drawn to look for the significance in these scars, as they are what provokes this belief. For us, theologically, they point towards the cross. It's part of the story. The resurrection is not a big reset button, even though sometimes we probably wish it was. But the marks of pain, the experiences of our lives, the good, the ordinary, and the bad, is what shapes us and makes us who we are. We know the resurrected Christ because of this cross, because he is God who entered into our existence as humans, into every aspect of our life, even into the pain and suffering and death. And that will always be central to this story. The scars of Christ here, instead of a reset, offer a chance for profound reconciliation. Grace is forgiveness. Grace is atonement. Grace is reconciliation. The followers had abandoned him and betrayed him, and the result was death. The confessional words that we often pray together echo in my mind. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Was this the confession that echoed in the minds of the disciples when Christ appeared among them? While they waited behind locked doors, wondering what was next, realizing how they had failed or fled, had not acted. Yet, here is Christ among them again, showing them these scars and despite of it still offering them peace. And they rejoice because they know the pain is real. It's Sunday evening, remember. It's raw and fresh. And because of that, their joy is so deep. We, too, know the reality of the pain that we've caused. We can, when we continue in our own prayers of confession, we often speak of how we have sinned against our neighbor, not loved our neighbor as Jesus commanded us. This is our participation in the wounds of the body of Christ. If the body of Christ is the people of God, our sin is the wounding of the members of the body of Christ that we come in contact with every day. When we speak ill of someone else, when we highlight another person's faults or mistakes, when we lash out in anger or we shame someone, even when we neglect to connect with those in need or we're too busy to take the time to care, when we fail to really listen or don't count someone else's experience as legitimate, 
We're wounding the body of Christ. Yet, Christ still comes among us with those scars and offers us peace and reconciliation, shows us a better way. After the disciples rejoice, Christ shares the peace once again, and then he sends them out as the Father has sent him. Christ tells us to go and do the same, offer reconciliation. He breathes on them, on them the Holy Spirit and says, if you forgive the sins of any, they, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I'm so compelled by the paraphrase that's found in the message. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? Why do we carry around the sins of others, even our own sins, returning to the shame we experienced in what we have done or the shame that we have caused ourselves? What are we going to do with it if we don't forgive it? Why do we choose to hold on to our wounds instead of bringing them to the open to heal? Oftentimes we secretly or even in public pick at them until they're bleeding again. But Jesus offers us a chance to have them heal as scars, still part of our story, still shaping us, but now combined with this joy of reconciliation and peace. Last month, the young adults went to the African American History Museum, and while there was much more than we could see in the time we were there, I was struck by the line to Emmett Till's memorial. We didn't have enough time to go in, but the story resonates in light of this passage. In August of 1955, Emmett Till, a 14-year-old African-American boy, traveled from his home in Illinois to go stay with his cousins in Mississippi. After being accused of flirting with a white woman, he was abducted from his cousin's home and brutally murdered. He was so badly beaten that he was unrecognizable. His mother, Mamie Till, chose to have an open casket at his funeral. She said, I wanted the world to see what they did to my baby. Tens of thousands of people came to that funeral and filed past that casket and the pictures of the open casket circled around the world. His scars became a catalyst for the civil rights movement, connecting people and spurring action. Both as African Americans and whites' eyes were open to the reality of hatred. Many saw the wounds caused by their own actions or by their silence and inaction. This lynching was meant to shame the family of Emmett Till. It was meant to silence others in the community. And we've heard countless stories of violence that cause the fear and the shame and people responding by locking doors and hiding away for their own protection. But Mamie chose the opposite of fear. She chose to put these scars on display, and with her actions, even in her mournful sorrow as this pain was so fresh, she proclaimed to the world that what you thought would be shameful 
is not my shame. It might be your shame, but these wounds are not going to cause me to ignore the reality that justice and grace is needed in the darkest of times. This was her Good Friday. And she proclaimed that what was meant to keep people silent would instead be a stimulus to really see, to see the scars with their eyes and to understand the reality of hatred and injustice left unchecked. We will not stop talking about these scars. And over 50 years later, we can see the deep joy and the strides made in the civil rights movement, even if full reconciliation has not been achieved. Was full reconciliation achieved after the first resurrection appearance in our text today? We read that the disciples go on to tell Thomas, we've seen the Lord, and Thomas desires what the other disciples have gotten. He wants to see the Lord himself, but even more, Thomas wants to touch the scars, to touch his side. A week later, the disciples gather around, the doors still shut. But again, this does not keep the resurrected Christ from coming in and once again offering peace. He then immediately addresses Thomas's desire. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Jesus approaches us where we are. God enters into the vulnerable intimacy and connection with each of us, just as the risen Christ does with Thomas and offering him his hands and his side. We don't know from the text if Thomas did touch Christ, but we do know it records one of the greatest proclamations of faith. My Lord and my God, Thomas responds. The response Jesus gives is not a critique or criticizing of Thomas, but instead it's a blessing for the first audience of this text and a blessing for us who do not get to literally see or touch the wounds of Christ, yet believe in the reconciling power of his grace. When Jesus invites him to touch and tells him not to doubt, it could better be translated, do not be unbelieving, but believe. A challenge to us too, do not be unseeing of the scars, but see and deeply understand and believe in the peace that Christ brings to replace our fear. Doubt is not the opposite of faith in this passage. Doubt means your faith has a pulse, that you are seeking and searching. Maybe we need to really be like Thomas, seeking to really see the risen Lord. The Acts passage that Leah read for us earlier is part of Peter's Pentecost sermon, connecting that passage to Christ breathing the Holy Spirit on the disciples here in John. Peter reminds us that the same spirit that was with Jesus in his ministry has been poured out on us. And we are called to be witnesses of the risen Lord. 
In the resurrection, God said no to the patterns of coercive power in this world, rejecting violence as a way to success or victory. But just look around. How often do we think that power or change comes from authority over another? But God changes us and the world through self-vulnerability, offering scars, offering us intimacy. When God raises Christ, he reverses the pattern of power and violence. But it's evident today we still look at power and success as a mark of God's blessing. But if we believe that the Spirit has been breathed into the church, that the grace and reconciliation of the resurrection is present in the church, then shouldn't the church look like Jesus? An expanding community of fellowship, sharing with each other, seeking reconciliation, even out of places of scarring and wounding. Show me the scars of the church so that I can see the risen Christ in you. God gives us and trusts us with the work of the Spirit to be the love of the self-giving God in the world to forgive and love and embrace our enemies instead of seeking condemnation. So may we be an Easter people, a people of the resurrection, a people of scars, and may we offer hope to each other and the world. Amen.